Production support comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, phone, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net. Mother Bear's Pizza of Bloomington, open daily and offering gourmet pizzas, hot submarine sandwiches, and salads with daily specials. Menu available online at motherbearspizza.com, 332-4495 for delivery. Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times, and today we're going to talk about um, uh, Earth Day and actually the, the more specific issue of the growing issue of electronic waste. Uh, joining me in the studio is my partner for the day, Daniel Robison, who's sitting in for Mary Catherine Carmichael. And we have three guests with us. Joining us by telephone is Indiana Recycling Coalition Executive Director Carrie Hamilton. Uh, in the studio, we have two guests, IU Office of Sustainability e-waste intern Laura Knudsen and UIT's Graduate Assistant for Sustainability Coordinator Susan Coleman-Morse. Uh, you can join us on the program by calling 855-0811 or 1-877-285-9348. And our website is wfiu.org slash noon edition if you want to join us by sending us an email or just contacting us uh, through the web. So welcome to everybody. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, we've uh, got a lot to talk about today. Um, this whole issue of uh, electronic waste is is growing and becoming more of a more of an issue for everybody. Uh, it seems like every every hour of every day, in some ways. I want to turn to Carrie first um, to sort of talk to talk to us about uh, why that issue has grown so much. And I'll, and before that, though, just talk about uh, if you'd tell us what the Indiana Recycling Coalition is all about. Great. Thanks, Bob. Well, uh, the Indiana Recycling Coalition and our website is indianarecycling.org. We are um, Indiana's Voice for Recycling. We're a statewide coalition. We've been around for about 21 years, and we've done um, countless statewide education programs, public education, and key stakeholder policymaker education, and also um, advocacy work over the years. And most recently, we worked on electronics recycling legislation for the state of Indiana. We worked successfully to advocate for a progressive state law. Um, and the reason we did that is because electronics is the fastest growing segment of our waste stream, and it contains several um, toxins, potent neurotoxins, uh, lead, mercury, cadmium, brominated flame retardants, um, you know, cancer-causing elements. Um, it's very, very important that we uh, handle electronics uh, safely and recycle them. Um, and so that's been our focus as an organization these last few years. And um, when you're ready, I can tell you a little bit about that law as well. Sure. Okay. Well, let's go first to uh, to Laura and let her uh, join the program here, the IU Office of Sustainability e-waste intern. So yes. I know the IU Office of Sustainability has a, a whole lot of different initiatives that are going on. So where does e-waste fit into it? Well, we... I mean, the Office of – like you said, Bob, that we have a lot of different internships. There's actually 19 interns for the Office of Sustainability. We have a lot of different events coming up actually. And electronic waste recycling has been identified by the Office of Sustainability, fortunately, as one of the principal areas of focus on campus. And so the main thing that the internship has revolved around in the past two years, because I was the intern last year too, is the electronic waste collection days event where the Office of Sustainability partners with Apple and other entities on campus to get a community collection event going. Mm -hmm. And this year, we were actually able to work on some other um, initiatives as well. We have an electronic waste art exhibit on campus, for instance, mm -hmm. to increase education. So, Well, that, that event was just last week, right? Mm -hmm. Last weekend. So uh, yeah. tell us how it went. It was excellent. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was very successful last year. Last year in Bloomington alone, we collected 489,409 um, pounds of waste. And this year, we had a little bit less. It was 350,000 pounds of waste. But that was mainly because we didn't get quite as much institutional and organizational 
drop off mm-hmm. as we did last year. Yeah, now as I understand it, the first two days were for institutional collection, right? Mm-hmm. And then the, the third day, the Saturday, was for individuals. The public day, yeah. Public and date. actually, we got we had more people come out this year. Mm-hmm. Last year, we had about 1,700 people come out, and this year, it was almost 1,900. Mm-hmm. So the yeah. word is spreading. Now, Susan, you work for UITS, and I should say that's the University Information Technology Services. Mm-hmm. Um, short Shorthand is... You would, so, uh, you know, again, how big is this issue for you? Obviously, uh, everything about UITS involves technology. Exactly. Um, UITS and Indiana University, we work in a distributed computing environment, which means that a lot of the, the core networks, supercomputing, a lot of the infrastructure lies within um, the care of UITS, uh, whereas departments have um, – uh, regional control, if you will, of policies and, and practices or, or rather day-to-day. Um, so UITS definitely has an a interest in ensuring that electronic waste is properly handled. I think given our profile in the global computing environment, um, we have an opportunity to really be a leader. And the last two years, UITS has supported the role of the um, sustainability coordinator uh, within their organization last year was held by Kristen Hanks, who worked with uh, um, Laura for e-waste day 2009. And um, it really showed the initial opportunity uh, this year. Um, and I hope we have an opportunity to thank our community at IU for this. But this year, my role has been primarily in looking at how we can get more participation on campus. Okay. Uh, Laura, when, when all these thousands, hundreds of thousands of pounds of stuff comes in and you collect it, mm-hmm. uh, with regards to what I, to, to the waste that's collected by IU, what happens to it then? It's So when it, when it comes to the event, it's put into secure trucks, first of all. And we – Apple contracts with Sims Recycling Solutions, which is a certified electronic waste recycler in Chicago – and they're actually all over the country, but the the location that Apple uses for the Simmons in Chicago. And so the trucks are secured and they go and are transported to the Chicago facility. And then Sims, basically everything is shredded once it gets to the facility. So that's where data security comes into play. And it's broken into component parts. So the plastics and the metals and the glass are all separated. And then Sims discloses fully their list of downstream vendors and so then the plastics go to the plastics vendors that they have and we we have a list of that with us if anyone's interested but. so they break them down into the plastics and the different types of things and then mm-hmm. what do they what happens to them then then well then they go back into the production market so they like for instance the plastics um, Plastic Nation Incorporated is the plastics vendor that Sims sells that to so that's how they are working to make a profit and then, uh, mm-hmm. recently or in the past few years and 60 Minutes did a big thing about this. It's uh, – you know, when you when you recycle it, a lot of people don't know where it goes and, you know, uh, they profiled – they've tracked monitors that have gone, you know, here to right. overseas. And uh, right. so IU is confident that the stuff that's being collected during their e-waste days is staying here. In, in the U.S.? Yes. Well, mm-hmm. because Sims um, – I mean an Apple – it's also on the onus of Apple, obviously. If it wasn't being sustainably recycled, then Apple would be accountable for that as well. And so we did actually – we were very careful last year when we selected the entity that we wanted to deal with. Um, and Kristen Hanks was the one who was principally in charge of that, my past mentor. And we actually issued a request for proposals. Um, and this is something unusual, Apple told us. It's not something that most universities that they partner – because they do this with other universities too that they typically do. But we wanted to see you – know, we wanted to see who the players were and we wanted to interview all the different people who had responded. And so we had several – we had several – actually, there were like three other um, people that we were thinking – organizations we were thinking about partnering with. And after interviewing them, some of them we couldn't verify exactly where it was going. And with Apple, like we knew it was Sims Recycling and then Sims Recycling provided the list of companies that they were selling to. And all of it is um, – the, th- the, the only thing that isn't domestic that they end up selling to are the, the precious metals. 
So if there's something in, like the gold in the CPU, like that ends up going to Umicore in Belgium, which is a smelter, a certified smelter. And then there's also – they also contract with a company in Germany. Um, and then there's also for the leaded glass, there's a company in Canada that they contract with. But other than that, it's all domestic – domestically processed. Okay. Our phone numbers again, 855-0811 or 1-877-285-9348. Our website is wfiu.org slash noon edition. We're talking about electronic waste uh, as part of our Earth Day um, programming here on WFIU. Um, Carrie, I wanted to ask you a question about uh, a story I actually read yesterday, which uh, hopefully you'll, you'll be familiar with. It can, can give me more background on it about a new program to certify the electronics are, are safely recycled, the Basil Action Network out of Seattle? Well, um, yeah, I, there, is, um, there are a couple of certification strategies out mm-hmm. there, um, and that is one of them, one of the uh, programs that are rising to the surface. Um, but you know what, I think it would be helpful to step back and talk about Indiana's new law and put that into the context of that certification, if that's okay? That would be fine. I guess a good idea. Great. Okay. (laughs) Um, Well, as Laura just described, um, electronics recycling, to do it properly, is very labor-intensive. There's collection, you need trucks and transportation, and very labor-intensive sorting processes to get the commodities out, to break break it down into the materials that can then be... um, sometimes sold, sometimes given away for recycling. Um, so the long story short is that it costs money to recycle electronics still. Um, now we hope that that will change soon, and I'll tell you why. Um, so there's this cost for electronics today. And let me turn off my cell phone. My apologies. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, so there's this cost, and the Indiana Recycling Coalition and several other states realized in recent years that um, there was not going to be movement at the national level, um, at least that was certainly the case five, six years ago, and that's still the case today, to to pass legislation that would require um, proper recycling and safe recycling of electronics. So that led to um, the situations that you saw in that 60-minute story that you mentioned earlier, um, where so much of our electronic waste um, still today and certainly more so in recent years, was sent overseas and handled very under very dangerous circumstances, creating toxic um, exposures for children and whole communities with water tables destroyed. So a major problem, an environmental problem, an ethical problem that we were shipping our electronics overseas and creating these horrible situations. So in Indiana, the Indiana Recycling Coalition, we said we want to um, work to advance producer responsibility legislation for our state. And what that means is we wanted the manufacturers of electronics to pay uh, to close the loop and pay for the recycling of those materials that they're producing um, for two reasons. One, just because uh, it's, it should be in part their responsibility, but two, um, because we believe, and it's starting to play out to be true, that those manufacturers, when they're responsible for the full life cycle of those materials, they will start to make products that are less toxic and more easily recycled, such that that responsibility could turn around and be a win-win for them. Ultimately, if those materials are, have less toxins in them, fewer toxins, and are more easily recycled, they could potentially make a profit on that life cycle um, and, of course, also help the environment um, and, and do good as um, large companies in our community. So um, we took that issue to the State House in 2009. And that was one of the few environmental bills that passed our legislature, and we were thrilled to get that through last year. Um, It is already starting to have an effect in Indiana. Um, You're fortunate in Bloomington to have um, really proactive efforts to have collection days and to have such great success with the programs that Laura just described. Um, But a lot of communities in in Indiana did not have that sort of access to recycling programs, to good recycling programs. Um, and that is changing right now because the manufacturers are working with local collectors and electronics recyclers to get material in Indiana to reach the goals that are required under that new law. Mm-hmm. So so uh, if you could just break this down a little bit further for me. So who are the manufacturers that would be involved? Would it be just anybody that has yeah. a, you know, like Apple or? Yes, Dell, <coughs> HP, mm-hmm. Apple, Sony, okay. um, all of the big players. And then there are many of... Um, uh, you know, smaller names out there, they're all now registered with the state as of um, 
I forget, it might have April been a couple of weeks ago that they were required to be registered. Um, or was it January 1? It was April <laughs> anyway. 1st. It went into effect, I know. Okay. Um, and so they are uh, registered with the state, and they're starting to collect materials. The first two years of the law, um, it's somewhat of a voluntary program. They won't be penalized if they don't comply, but they do get incentivized to comply. And then in year three, they will actually be financially penalized if they don't reach the goals um, in the bill, and it's it's basically in the law now. It's um, basically based on um, a percentage of their sales um, by weight. Mm-hmm. So they have to recycle a certain amount of um, electronics in Indiana based on their sales in Indiana. Okay, so if I was to go buy a new iPad today, and uh, <laughs> that'd be fun. <laughs> yeah, would it would. <laughs> I probably shouldn't say that. Maybe uh, maybe I, I take my old uh, RCA television set. Okay. Today. Uh, well, RCA isn't even a company anymore. But, but if there's a manufacturer of a television set that I have and I'm going to – I need to get rid of it. I mean what – again, what's, what's – my responsibility has now been shifted to the manufacturer basically. Correct. Right? Correct. Okay. And so um, it, it will not necessarily be RCA that is responsible for that right. particular product. The manufacturers are able to collect any electronics towards their goal. Okay. okay. So, for instance, the event that we did and mm-hmm. everything that was collected, that's going towards Apple's okay. fulfillment of this new law. All right. So it's an incentive for these manufacturers to host these shows or these uh, recycling collection efforts. Right? Exactly. Okay. All right. Well, you, uh, Carrie, you mentioned specific goals uh, that companies have to meet. Uh, is IDEM going to be monitoring this stuff and, and making yes. sure they're they're compliant. Absolutely, yes. And and uh, you know what what are the the fines and the penalties uh, and what are the incentives? Do, do you think it'll work? Um, yeah, I do. Um, I, I if I recall correctly, it's been a couple of years now since I was at the state house uh, working on this. But sixty um, percent uh, by weight of sales is the requirement. So if they sold a hundred thousand pounds of electronics. Um, in a given year, they would have to recycle 60,000 pounds. Um, and if they don't comply, I don't remember the exact penalties, but it's um, a, a certain amount of cents per pound that they have to pay that they do, if they don't recycle that material. Um, and they will, I mean, it's, it's pretty black and white, um, relatively easy for IDEM to track and manage. And if they don't achieve those goals, they will receive a bill from IDEM. There is an appeals process. Um, but these goals are very doable. There's a lot of material out there. We're confident that they can collect plentiful material and easily meet their goals. So I, I think the um, the burden is on them and to appeal um, goals uh, won't necessarily uh, meet with success. Was it tough to to lobby for this? Uh, I know sometimes in the state house some bills might have. Um, uh, get labeled you know, anti-business or you know, if they cost businesses money, then they don't have a, a, as good of a shot. So yeah. was it tough to get this thing through, especially since you know, it could potentially find some businesses? Yeah, no, it, it was. Um, and, and we actually, the Indiana Recycling Coalition, sat down before the legislature started with the State Chamber of Commerce and the Indiana Manufacturing Association and several other stakeholders in the process, the um, folks who own landfills and um, do garbage collection and recycling programs across the state who, for various reasons, have interest in this bill and will be affected. And um, what we found, uh, I'll start uh, very bluntly, there are not currently really manufacturers of electronics in Indiana that will be directly affected with the penalty. Um, so that helped. <laughs> um, but then still the Manufacturing Association, uh, for example, wanted to make sure that what we were proposing would make sense and would be um, something that um, didn't set a bad precedent that their other members might not be happy with. And I think we worked with them closely enough and explained um, the value of this bill to Indiana's environment um, and its economy, that they, that they were supportive of our bill throughout the legislative session, both the Manufacturing Association and the State Chamber of Commerce. Um, and in particular, we talked about um, the opportunity that this bill, this law, will provide to create new green jobs in Indiana in the area of electronics recycling. And, in fact, that has come to pass. We have new electronics recyclers here now because of the law and more looking to come here. Uh, we're a manufacturing state. We can recycle and process electronics. Um, we've got a great workforce for that. So that helped as well. 
Uh, but it wasn't easy. We worked closely with dozens of stakeholders through the whole process. We negotiated a lot. We didn't end up with a bill that was what we started with, but we're very pleased with what we did get. Uh, Laura, uh, IU obviously participates in the e-waste collection days, but uh, all the other days of the year when they're not collecting, there's not a big thing to, uh, you know, efforts. What does IU do that is stored up and then wait for e-waste collection days or is there, are there efforts throughout the year to recycle stuff as it breaks? There are and I'm going to let Susan tackle that because she actually worked – part of our initiative this year was to focus on Indiana University waste collection. So Susan really led that effort. According to uh, um, the purchasing guidelines, uh, there are policies in place that say that Indiana uh, Indiana University-owned equipment – uh, needs to go through surplus IU surplus stores uh, prior to being resold or recycled. So uh, there are policies in place. There is a structure. Uh, last summer, I served as an intern at the Office of Sustainability and interviewed IT managers across the campus on their IT practices. And what, what I was hearing was that Different IT managers in different departments and schools were inter- interpreting um, how to prepare that equipment differently or had confusion as to whether or not if it was broken, was it supposed to go to surplus stores. Uh, so that kind of opened up the opportunity to um, facilitate a conversation on how we could, first of all, get more support for departments uh, in um, collecting and then also talk about long-term implications and plans. Uh, As it stands, that material is when a department has e-waste to pick up, they contact IU surplus stores, they come and pick it up, and then it is either um, uh, processed for resale or is uh, palletized, and then they work with another contractor called Unicor who comes when those trucks are full, and then they'll come and get that. Last fall, Laura and I had an interesting experience talking to some of our friends at the School of Education where we were talking about different initiatives on campus and we mentioned e-waste and they said, oh, well, we have some e-waste. And we said, well, we'll come over and pick it up. We're interested in this stuff and and we'd been talking to Surplus and we wanted to get a handle on what this might be. And we arrived in a minivan and were greeted with – several seven-foot-tall wooden console televisions, copy machines, uh, dozens of computer towers. And what it really indicated to us was, you know, last year with the 2009 electronic e-waste days, we did not have visibility in how much departments participated because they were on their own to follow protocol and make sure data was wiped, make sure anything saleable was sent to surplus. And uh, so this really kind of gave us uh, an insight that maybe some help was needed. So that's – we wanted to do a little pilot this year on um, how how many departments had similar situations. So we sent out a note um, in March and said, you know, for the next month, if you have electronic waste, we'll come to you. And the School of Informatics and – Computing stepped up and were the first takers. And from there, we had a total of 17 departments. So partnering with Surplus, uh, we were able to take their box truck and make it as convenient as possible. And it was pretty amazing what we got. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, I think we had uh, somewhere between 33 to 35 pallets of materials collected just from those 17 departments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, just walking down the hallways in any building on campus, you see computers everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a campus of IU size, uh, is there any idea of how much e-waste there is in a given year for IU? Do you guys have any idea? I have not seen any numbers to that effect at this point, but I think that that conversation is getting to a point where we're going to be mm-hmm. needing to track that. Um, and particularly given the frequency of our technological cycle, most departments and schools are on a three to five year replacement cycle. Um, and that feeds into the issue because if a department doesn't get it to surplus, it rapidly lose its, loses its resale value. You know, those items could be uh, refurbished and, and uh, sold or donated, what, whatever the – could be done to ensure its longevity and reuse. Mm -hmm. Uh, But if it sits in a basement, 
it's not only uh, losing that value, but it's also taking up valuable space. Mm-hmm. All right, we're going to have to take a break. Uh, you have, you all have a daunting task, I think, you know, with this <laughs> electronic <laughs> recycling. We're going to, we're going to talk more about that after we take a short break. You're listening to Noon Edition. We'll be right back. You're listening to Noon Edition on member-supported WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville Telephone Information at smithville.net and from Mother Bear's Pizza at motherbearspizza.com. You can take WFIU programs with you by downloading our podcasts. Podcasting is a convenient and easy way to download audio files directly to your computer, iPod, or portable player. You can download podcasts of full-length programs like Noon Edition, Ask the Mayor, and Harmonia, or short features like Kinsey Confidential, the Ether Game Musical Mini Quiz, as well as movie, play, and opera reviews. Find out more by going to our website, WFIU.org. And have you heard WFIU's news features? On Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays, the WFIU news team brings you expanded and in-depth reports on topics affecting south-central Indiana. Listen at 8.33 a.m. and 5.45 p.m. every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday to catch that day's feature. If you miss one, that's okay. They're archived on our website, WFIU.org, and the best features from each week can be heard Saturday mornings at 745. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Salzberg from the Herald Times along with Daniel Robinson, and we have uh, three guests with us today as we talk about the growing issue of electronic waste. Indiana Recycling Coalition Executive Director Carrie Hamilton is with us by phone. Also, IU Office of Sustainability e-waste intern Laura Knudsen is here and UIT's graduate assistant assistant for sustainability coordinator Susan Coleman-Morse is here. If you have questions or comments, please phone us at 855-0811 or 1-877-285-9348 from outside of the Bloomington calling area. Or you can go to our website, wfiu.org slash noon edition to uh, – Make contact with us by email if you have questions or comments. And we do have an email question. Uh, he, uh, a concerned listener asks, uh, where can ordinary people go to get their electronics recycled year-round? I, I love that question since I have like you know three video cassette recorders in my basement. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, on, on our sat- Saturday of our event last week um, – or rather Friday, uh, the Herald Times published an article that the Monroe County Solid Waste Management District is implementing a new uh, policy for electronic waste drop-off. Now, um, my understanding is that in the past it's been uh, a fee between 6 and $24 and that this is, they're working with a vendor who has additional financial support where they can uh, do this for a dollar a piece for mm-hmm. each piece of equipment. That's mm-hmm. Very good. That's exactly right from what I read too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's for Bloomington. There's got to be other places around the state that these programs don't exist, right? Perhaps Carrie can well, yeah, I was gonna speak to, to that. Yeah, there, um, there's not an easy answer, but um, depending on where you live, um, the best way to find out is to either call your municipality or your solid waste management district if you're out in a county area. Um, that's really the best answer. Um, the, I guess the third answer is to go to the IDEM website, in.gov slash IDEM, um, where they've got a more comprehensive list and the contact to yeah. reach. Yeah. Uh, Carrie, I wanted to follow up on that because I, I think a, a couple things. One, you know, the question of, you know, what do people do all throughout the state? But also, you know, over time, I mean, we've had – uh, the, the issue of electronic waste recycling has, has been growing in recent years, but people have had television sets and v, VHS recorders and uh, you know all sorts of different electronic advi- devices over the years that basically were just kind of going to the landfill, weren't they? Yeah, they were. Now, interestingly, people um, – this is a bit anecdotal, but I've heard it discussed again and again and again over the years, so I feel comfortable saying that um, in large part, folks – don't like to throw away electronics. They sort of instinctually know it's not supposed to go to the landfill, so it piles up in basements and closets. Um, (laughs) So that's why these collection (laughs) programs sometimes have so much volume, because people are clearing out years of material. Now, having said that, definitely electronics have gone to landfills 
um, over the years, and still in part, in, in, you know, do when folks aren't aware of collection programs or of this new law um, in Indiana. Yeah, I, I would say, you know, it seems to me that like a television set used to be a big investment for people and, and to yeah. throw away a big investment. That's probably why a lot of these wound up in basements. Yeah, that's, that's a great <laughs> point. <Yeah>. Susan? <laughs> One of the things that, that we do um, with the uh, Apple event is do a survey um, of the participants. So when they arrived last week, they were provided with a magnet that had a website on it and they were asked to – uh, fill out a survey, and one of the things they ask is, is why. Laura, do you recall what the response rate was last year? Last year, we had 324 responses, and it was – and most – actually, one of the questions we ask at the end is like a, just a general comment or what would you have done with these if you hadn't brought them to the event today? And some of the responses were land that they would have been – they would put them in the landfill. They're, those were some of the comments. Mm-hmm. Um, some, and some of them were just – that the storage issue as well. And what did they say were their main reasons of participating in the event? It was that to help the environment was the main one. And then the second one was the um, convenience of the event mm-hmm. as well because it's just a drive-through right. drop-off. So it's mm-hmm. super convenient to come. Uh, how, how are – and any of the three of you can answer this. and You probably have a little bit different perspectives. But how are the education efforts going? How, how difficult is it to um, make people aware of, of what a significant problem it can cause if these, these items are going to the landfill? Carrie, do you want to take that first? Well, um, I think it definitely is a challenge. Um, one of the things that we think will become um, – a bigger player from an education perspective because of the law is vendors, or not, I'm sorry, not vendors, but um, retail establishments like Best Buys. So the Best Buy stores throughout the world, or throughout the state anyway, will be um, partnering, we believe, we suspect this will happen because they've done so a little bit already, partnering with some of the manufacturers that now have to collect more material in Indiana. So that means that in the Sunday newspaper and communities across the state, there will be advertisements saying, bring your electronics to our store for free electronics collections, that sort of thing. So um, there will be broader distribution of material that governments with limited budgets um, have struggled to provide in their communities. Mm-hmm. Well, the, you mentioned earlier uh, – one of you mentioned earlier the cost. You know, If you go to the recycling center and you could pay 6 to $24, that's a dollar here in Monroe County. But – uh, do you think the cost is prohibitive to getting people out there and actually saying, you know, why would I, you know, spend money if I could just, you know, go to the church dumpster and, and drop it off? Um, is the cost going to get lower, you know, as this sort of picks up steam? And absolutely, yeah, for sure. Um, and, and that's that's another benefit of this law. There were many communities like Bloomington that, for financial reasons, had to. To, not Bloomington, I'm sorry, Monroe County, had to charge fees in order to safely collect and recycle electronics. Um, they had no other budget mechanism to pay for it. With this law, manufacturers are coming to entities such as the Monroe County Solid Waste Management District and saying, we will take your material for free if you collect it, and we will recycle it properly, and we'll give you the assurances that that will happen. So that's, that's absolutely a direct outcome of the new law. To me, this is kind of a, an, an abstract issue. You know, you think about we don't really know where our trash goes. We don't see where it goes. We just kind of put it out there and it disappears and that's good enough for just about everybody. So Bob mentioned earlier the education aspect of it. How, you, how do you make people care about this? How do you, uh, you know, say the chemicals in there can really hurt people? I mean, it's, it's, what's the argument? What's the pitch? Um, I mean, I think that the- – I mean, environmentally, I, 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 the hazardous materials, I guess, the health issue is a big one. Um, if you can – I mean, I think it's – first of all, with the education thing, I want to say that a lot of people don't even know what electronic waste is. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I encounter in my conversations Well, let's with define people. it today then. Can you give us so, sort of a definition? How would you I, I'll it? define it. Then if Curry wants to give her a definition okay. as well. <laughs> sure. Well, so, I mean, I guess but, we can, to talk about the toxicity of electronics is very powerful. Um, and I will mention there's a great resource online that we created a few years ago at eScrapIndiana.org, and it lists a lot of the toxins and other issues related to electronics on that website. And that was part of a statewide grant-funded campaign that we did leading up to our legislative effort. But so what... 
you know, the, the argument is that there are these potent toxins. They affect humans' immune system, heart function, reproductive systems, um, development of fetuses and children, the central nervous system. I mean, these are potent, potent toxins. And when we send them to the landfill or to the incinerator, there's no guarantee that that material or some of those toxins won't ultimately end up um, in the water table or in, you know, air. Emissions. Yeah, and I'm going to, I want to interject just a second because it's, that's, that's totally true. And the, the thing is that there are hazardous waste landfills in the United States that are meant to deal with hazardous waste. But the problem is, is that when you're putting these materials into a regular landfill that isn't properly lined, isn't properly meant to deal with this waste, that's when the groundwater issues that Curry is talking about can occur because it can collect in the leachate of the landfill. Exactly. And, and we have good landfills and good incinerators in Indiana, but they're not designed for electronic waste. Mm-hmm. One, of, one of the things that uh, I was shocked to learn from Laura, Laura's a graduate student in SPIA, and, and she was telling me that a typical 24-inch CRT monitor can have up to eight pounds of lead in it, and that alone is just shocking. <laughs> yeah, that's a yep. And then when you have the issues of, I mean, because it could go to the landfill, or it could be if it's a sham recycler, which we were talking about, and you and Dan were alluding to earlier, if it's going to China and then or another developing country and they're processing it there, I mean, um, incineration or just burning. The waste is a common way to, to get the valuable materials out of that. And if you're inhaling eight pounds of lead or if you're be in contact with mercury in some of these, these pieces of equipment, that's incredibly harmful. So, I mean, domestically in a landfill, that's not what we want. And then the export issue as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, we have a phone call. So let's go to the phones. And it's Ted who's on the line. Ted? Yeah, hello. Hi. Hi. Um, I had two, two questions I wanted to ask. Uh, one was about standards. There's, there are various um, standards for disposing of e-waste, and I would like to know whether uh, the disposal that Bloomington does with their electronic waste disposal uh, complies to one of those standards and which one. Um, I know there's R2, and then there's the e-steward standards, which seems to be, um, from what I was reading, more strict in how um, they enforce whether waste to send overseas and, and disposed of improperly. And the other point was just a comment that I was really here, glad to hear as an IT department uh, head at IU that uh, there's a um, program to come and collect waste um, because we've, in my department, struggled with that um, in the past few years. Sending it to surplus is, is a, it's a time-consuming process and one that we're willing to do, but the pickup is usually very um, difficult. It's very difficult to arrange and coordinate. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm, I'm looking forward to improvements in that situation. Those are my two comments. Okay. Susan has an answer to number two. Number two. Okay. Um, uh, Ted, thanks so much for letting us know that uh, this can add value to you and your staff. Um, one of the things that, that is uh, surrounding this, this semester's efforts is the work of the Sustainable IT Working Group, which is – headed up by Dennis Cromwell at UITS and Barry Rubin from, the, uh, from SPIA. And this group, uh, like many of the working groups associated with the IU Office of Sustainability, uh, their charter is to support the office and provide direction for Bill Brown, the director of the office. And um, one of the outcomes of the e-waste collection days and particularly the departmental effort was recognizing that there's an opportunity to improve communication with the departments in the schools and that a a best practices document uh, will be one of the priorities over the coming months to help uh, ensure a continuity of communication on how to handle that through surplus and and what the process is. Okay. Um, Carrie or – Laura, do you have any any ideas about the standards for Bloomington or, or for any place in the state, Gary? Um, no, that's a great question, and I'm not sure where folks are leaning. I mean, these, these standard initiatives are very new. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that we, the Indiana Recycling Coalition, are hosting a workshop in June for the R2 standard, um, and that's not because we think that's better than any other standard, but they're coming to Indiana and we're hosting. <laughs> yeah. 
So, um, you know, I think that's a, a great question, but it's early in the process, and maybe Laura has a better answer for the local um, angle. I'm I'm not sure. I I know, and I, I know with the and the easters. I, I mean, I've, I'm more familiar with that standard, and I. Um, Excuse me. I know that there's like a list of electronics recyclers that that Ban has um, Mm -hmm. that have cleared the the, that are on their list of preferred recyclers, and they've gone through the standard. And I do not know if the new contractor that the Monroe County Solid Waste District is if they're on that or not. Um, And so I can't speak to that because it was so recent that this change happened with the one dollar. Ted, I did speak earlier this week with uh, Scott Morgan from the Monroe County Solid Waste Management District, and he encouraged uh, any callers who had additional questions about uh, their relationship with their vendor to call him at 349-2867. And just for a little background, um, you know, one of the stories that I pulled before the program, the R2 – program responsibility responsible recycling is an EPA program and according to this story it says the program requires recyclers to be certified but it allows them under certain conditions to export old electronics uh, bands program for instance this new program the basal action network program bars the export of toxic waste to developing countries so this is where um, the issue of standards comes in and some of them are a little bit more stringent than others so mm-hmm. it's a it was a very good question our phone number Numbers, again, 855-0811 or 1-877-285-9348. The website is wfiu.org slash noon edition if you have a question. Let's talk about how this uh, issue is changing. Uh, you know, five, six years ago, everybody had CRT monitors, these big bulky things. And the materials that are in those are, I don't know, probably different than the ones in flat screens. And there's LCD and there's plasma TVs. There's Everything's kind of changing and, you know, the Technology is always – there's always something new. So let's look forward five to ten years when people are recycling flat screen monitors. Is it a lot different than CRT? Are they made better? Are you know are technologies becoming less polluting you know, uh, the materials in them? Are they making them better? Well, I think right now what we can say is that usually there's less material, so that's better. <laughs> Not necessarily less toxic. Sometimes a little bit now less toxic. I think the, the products we're going to be buying in the next three to ten years will definitely have less toxic material as well. So materials are getting lighter, um, and then it's less toxic is our next step, and I think that's going to happen pretty quickly here. Based on um, the, um, I don't know if I would say explosion, but the uh, growth of these laws across the country. There are now about 20 states with such producer responsibility laws. And again, Indiana's is one of the more um, progressive of those laws, so I'm proud of that. We're proud of that. Um, But, uh, you know, this is the concept of producer responsibility is um, taking hold uh, with policymakers across the country and certainly across the world and in Europe where it's really taken off. Um, And that's going to change manufacturing for the better across the spectrum of products, including electronics. Mm-hmm. Susan? One of the things from a, from a research side at Indiana University is you're, you're seeing more uh, support of sustainability in general, but also in, in research and sustainable technology. Um, as I said, I'm a student at the School of Informatics and Computing and a member of the Sustainable Interaction Design Research Group led by Ellie Blavis. And that group looks at sustainable systems um, that uh, can support not only computing but other social impact issues, transportation. Ellie and I have done a lot of work with local food. Um, and I think that you'll find that the the upcoming generation of of technologists and designers are – putting that as a forefront uh, to their uh, concept development, that they're, they're becoming aware of the impact of that. Mm-hmm. Um, at the larger university level, uh, Gregor von Lazowski is joined at uh, UITS and he focuses on uh, supercomputing and algorithms for um, uh, energy conservation. So it's it's permeating into the research environment as well. Mm-hmm. I'll go back to something that uh, Laura said earlier about a lot of people not knowing what electronic waste is. I have a very simple question. Would you classify batteries as electronic waste? 
I would. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's one of the things that we collected at the event, too. Mm-hmm. So. I mean, that's been an issue for many, many years where people will just remove the batteries from their flashlight, toss it in the trash, and then they, they go on. Right. So, so, Carrie, is that uh, an issue that, that you get involved with with the Indiana Recycling Coalition? Well, not really. Batteries yeah. are a tough issue. Yeah. A few years ago, um, the most uh, toxic materials were removed from batteries, and they were classified as a waste that could go to the incinerator or landfill. Mm-hmm. Um, so some collection programs went away. In addition, because there are different types of batteries that residents use that can, when they're collected and stored together in a bucket, for example, can create an arc and cause a fire. <laughs> the, the collection and transport of batteries has, has um, is an issue. So it's a challenge. Um, I agree with Laura that it is um, at least a special waste. Um, uh, not, not a great answer there. But you might not want to throw them all in a bucket together. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah, Susan's going to go get her bucket, I think. <laughs> it happens, though. Yeah. You know. Do, do you think, uh, you know, uh, the there's going to be a kind of a fallout we're going to see? Do you think there's going to be kind of a rash of health-related issues uh, down the road here uh, since e-waste is kind of a, a new thing? Um, do you think people are going to be getting cancers related to the wrongful, dis- like, uh, you know, d- disposal of, of e-waste? Is that happening already? I, no. I'm not a, familiar with sure. any statistical. Uh, Carrie, do you have? No, any? I'm not. Um, People in the United States, you mean, just from? Sure, yeah. Well, I think that that uh, given the pattern of, of exposure and health-related issues to previous uh, industrial contaminants, uh, it's not a far-fetched notion that that can happen, particularly when we're talking about the uh, uh, – toxicity of some of these materials. Mm-hmm. And I, I would guess, um, Daniel, that the a lot of the components we're talking about have been proven to cause all sorts of health-related injuries. So you know, wh- wherever they're coming from, they mm-hmm. probably are creating issues, mm-hmm. I'd guess. But I'm not a doctor. All right. Let me just give our phone numbers one more time because if anybody wants to call in, we do have about – five or six minutes to go. Um, the numbers are uh, 855-0811, The website, wfiu.org slash noon edition if you want to send us a question and don't want to uh, talk to us today. <laughs> We're talking about um, the growing issue of electronic waste and you know, there are a lot of different uh, angles to this. Um, you know, the, the, um, there are some global issues I think that would be difficult to deal with, and I know we've sort of, sort of touched on the surface of them. You know about the fact that electronic uh, issues are. I mean, this is a growing issue in the United States, but it's also a growing issue in Japan, China. I mean, are there are there any international efforts that any of the three of you are are familiar with to try to address this on a global level? The, the main one I'm familiar with is in Europe. They have um, a, they have a really the European Union has a really intense producer responsibility law that's in place too, um, and I don't I don't know like the specific mm-hmm. details, sure. but it's similar to some of the state laws that are coming into effect now that mm-hmm. Kerry was mentioning. Well, I think with a lot of environmental issues, sometimes we think about how well you know we, what what we can do locally. What impact will that have? You know, on the state, and what if Indiana does great stuff here? What impact will that have on the nation? And if the U.S. does great stuff, what impact will that have on the world? So that's kind of where my question is coming from. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I can I put it in that framework, and I've got an answer for you. Okay, all right. Um, I think because you know, a state like Indiana that is not known, we're not known for our progressive environmental laws. Um, to pass a progressive producer responsibility law for e-waste um, that impacts global manufacturers does have an impact. I mean, when we, um, when the governor signed that bill last summer, there was reporting of that passage around the world. Um, and uh, so there's, there's both the sort of realization, wow, a Midwestern um, U.S. state has done this, and also the reality that those global manufacturers have to respond to it. And so if they're responding to it here, um, you know, that impacts them throughout their operations. Mm-hmm. 
What has held back uh, – somebody mentioned earlier that uh, the federal government hasn't really addressed this issue. States are dealing with it on their own and there are now 20 states or so that have their own laws uh, about e-waste. But why doesn't uh, Congress uh, – how hasn't Congress dealt with this? Well, I, I can say that um, probably, it was probably five, six, seven years ago maybe that there was a concerted effort on Capitol Hill to deal with this issue. But at that time – um, I think it's fair to say that the manufacturers um, were not willing to come to the table together to compromise on something that would make a difference. Um, I, I think an effort at the national level now would have a different response and might be able to uh, get more accomplished. Um, I don't know that that will happen. You know, so when, when laws start to pass at the state level, two things can happen. One, it can the federal government can say, okay, we need to step in and just deal with this, or enough states do it that they just leave it to the states to get it done ultimately. <laughs> so it's not clear yet. I, I haven't heard any speculation um, in recent months as to what might happen on Capitol Hill, if anything. Okay. We have about a minute and a half to go. So I want to give each of you uh, a few seconds. A few. I know, um, uh, Carrie, you mentioned the eScrap.org <laughs> website. Are there any other resources you can point to that people might want to go, go look at for further information? Well, um, I, I think a great um, source of information for folks who are interested in kind of the broader policy context is just to Google extended producer responsibility. Um, that is a really exciting topic in the recycling field across all materials, electronics, other special waste, and consumer waste. Um, so that I think folks who are interested could go there. Okay. Laura? Well, we do have a growing e-waste website through the Office of Sustainability. It's ewaste.indiana.edu. Mm-hmm. Right now, there's just mainly um, stuff up about the event we just had, but it's something that we'll be continually updating, so that's good. Okay. And I would agree with Carrie. The EPA also has some good resources okay. on this. And also, I mean, the donation of electronic items, uh, to responding to that email that we talked about before, there's a lot of good information on the web about that as well that okay. different companies have and different programs have. Susan, 10 seconds. Um, I would encourage IU faculty, staff, and students to get involved in their local green teams that mm-hmm. are popping up all around campus. Okay. Well, I want to thank our guests today, uh, Laura Knudsen, Carrie Hamilton, and Susan Coleman-Morse. For Daniel Robison, producer Ariana Prothero, and engineer Mike Pashkash, I'm Bob Zaltzberg. I hope you'll join us next week for the gardening program. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, voice, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net. Mother Bear's Pizza of Bloomington, open daily and offering pizzas, pasta dinners, and wings with daily specials. Menu available online at motherbearspizza.com, 332-4495 for delivery.